Well, good morning, Word of Grace, <clears throat> both here and online. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, I, uh, I told first service that they raised the bar pretty high for uh, worship because uh, there was a big crowd in this morning. They worshiped well, but uh, this, this service, you guys sounded great as well. So uh, apparently when I'm not in the crowd singing, it sounds pretty. Um, no, good morning. Love being here with you guys. It's good to see you. Um, for those of you who may uh, be new here, uh, I'm the family pastor. My name is Pete. Uh, Derek will be back next week, um, Pastor Derek. And uh, I know there's probably some of you who are like, oh, man, I miss him. Uh, you are not alone on that this morning. Um, matter of fact, Pastor Gino apparently missed him so much that uh, instead of giving me my notes for this week, he actually printed out Pastor Derek's notes from last week for service and put them on the podium. So apparently he didn't believe in the message today that much, guys. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> good times. Uh, don't you guys love Pastor Gino? What a blessing he is to this church. Uh, I've, I've been uh, just blessed and amazed by the Millers uh, and, and how good they've been for Word of Grace. Great, great people. Anyway, that has nothing to do with today's message. I just like them. And uh, there's, there's so many great things uh, to, to, to talk about when I talk about my church family here. I'm just, uh, I'm really blessed by you guys. Um, today, uh, before we get started, I want to pray and then we'll get into it. So God, um, thank you for being here today. Thank you that uh, you allowed us to worship you and that you were honored in it. Um, Lord, you're so worthy of our worship and you're worthy of our attention and our focus in this morning, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, you'd be present and your words would be spoken, not mine, but that it's your word and that I'd get out of your way and that we'd get the things that are in our head out of your way, that we'd be open to hearing from you, that we'd be open to hearing uh, you challenge us, not give us what we want, but to, to, to make our hearts grow closer to who you want us to be this morning, God. And I pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, last week we started a new series called Collision of Church and State, and we're in the book of 1 Peter, um, which is great. I love uh, the way that Peter writes, uh, not just because we have the same name, although that is pretty cool. Um, it's because he is uh, a lot like me in that he's a little bit blunt and straight to the point and easy to understand whether or not I like it, I can at least understand it. Uh, whereas sometimes when I'm in Paul's writings, I'm like, for goodness sake, use a comma. Um, uh, but with First Peter, I feel like I can follow along pretty easily. So this, this is, is, is going to be easy and fun for me. Um, and last week, Pastor Derek started by talking about how um, as part of God's family, um, who we are, our character matters. And, and the, the point was, who you are in private will matter publicly. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing here what it was. Um, but the concept is that if we follow God um, outside and to everybody else, that has a value, but the value has to be built on who you are uh, in private. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I, everybody's heard at this point, is uh, character is who you are when... There it is. Nobody's watching. A couple of you said it. I'm sure a couple of you at home typed it out too. Character is who you are when nobody's watching. And being a Christian isn't just something where we're smiley, happy people that say Jesus and have bumper stickers 
and uh, fish on the back and a cross on our neck and all that kind of stuff. Is that stuff bad? No, it's not, although bumper stickers are really so 80s. Let's stop. Um, no, all that stuff's fine, but who you are and when you're following God in private is going to build you up to be somebody who can give God glory publicly. And I absolutely believe in that, and I'm so glad that that's where Pastor Derek started us out. So uh, normally, when Pastor Derek leaves and, and, and is having me teach, he gives me something that he doesn't want to teach and is super hard and difficult, no one wants to say. Um, yeah, thank you. It, it is a little silly, isn't it? Um, this week, uh, actually, I love this because this one is so straight to the point and so easy, and he left some low-hanging fruit for me. So this morning, we're going to start there. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, if you're following along in your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 13, and it starts like this. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, and I'm going to pause there for a second, and then I'll finish. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Okay, preparing your minds for action. That's where he's starting. After saying, after Peter says, okay, you're all part of the, the same family. We honor God in the way we live. Uh, by the way, prepare your minds for action because of that. And now I'm going to go forward from there. He's starting by saying that your mind is the starting place to a God-honoring life. Your mind is the starting place for a God-honoring life. It's the battlefield that will glorify Christ, is your brain. Pretty wild to think about. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the, Jew, the, the Hebrew idiom here for preparing your minds for action, um, if you were to look it up and see what it originally me means in its exact translation, it would be gird up the loins of your mind. That's right, the loins of your mind. Some of you are trying to picture that right now, and it's hard. The loins. You didn't know your mind had loins, did you? It does, and you're supposed to gird them up. Uh, <laughs> what that means, what that actually looked like, and any of you who have seen a uh, Bible Times movie or anything like that, you've seen how uh, both men and women would wear pretty long robes. Um, and as you can imagine... And I'm just imagining I've never tried one on, um, ladies. You can probably tell me, though, that it's not easy to move around in a long dress. Um, and so girding up the loins literally was something that the men would do uh, when it was time to be in a fight, uh, be in action. Uh, something drastic was about to happen. They would prepare themselves by literally taking up that robe, pulling it through their legs so that they basically had shorts on and then tucking it into their belt. And, uh, and then they could do their super ninja fights or whatever they did. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's how they played football. No clue. But uh, let your mind run free with that. Uh, actually, when I started picturing it, the, the very first picture I got was that of a sumo wrestler. That was disturbing enough that I moved on. Um, but that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, get ready. Get ready for action. There's going to be a battle here. Gird up your mind. Okay. Why am I girding up my mind? I'm going to do battle. Well, if you're anything like me, um, you kind of, when you, when you hear that, you're like, oh, ho, ho, God's challenging us to battle. I kind of get into battle, like the concept of especially battle with my mind. How many of you have ever seen a, 
an action movie of any kind ever produced in any year ever. Yeah, if you've seen any of those, literally any of them, there's a 20-minute scene that happens in all of them where a person prepares for battle. It feels like it takes 20 minutes at least. And there's always a montage and there's music where they'll sit there and they're, you know, they're getting all their stuff on, they're tightening that belt, you know, they strap on their boots, they get their helmet on. You know what I'm talking about? It's when Iron Man takes forever to finally put that suit on. It's going, and then he's ready. And it checks all little vents and everything to make sure that it's really working right and all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about when they're preparing for battle. This montage that happens in every single movie so that we know, oh, they were ready. Uh, yeah, that's what Peter is saying here is for you to be doing. And I'm getting excited when I read this the first time when I'm studying for this lesson. I'm looking at it and I'm going, yeah, prepare for battle. Prepare my mind for battle. It excites me because I'm a board game player. And some of you who are board game players know where I'm going with this. When I'm getting ready to play a board game, I kind of have a little bit of an obsession about, about winning the board game. Like I'm there to do battle. I don't know how some of you step into board games, but I'm there to board game, bro. And so like I'm prepping in my room before the game is going and I'm like, Lord, let the descendants of their children speak of the night that I destroyed them in Settlers of Catan. And I'm getting ready, and I'm getting going, and I'm getting, and I destroy. And my whole mindset is, I will use my brain to break you, and I will win Go Fish, no matter what it takes, or whatever the game is, I am there to win. I'm there to win. I am excited about this concept of me beating somebody else, right? Some of you are, are understanding this, and the other ones of you are like my wife, who uh, a week or so ago, after I'd won another board game night, she looked at me and she said, well, you won. I was like, yeah, I did. She's, she's like, well, yeah, I knew you were going to win. That's, that's what you were trying to do, which totally broke my brain. I was like, yeah, that's what I was trying to do. It's a board game. You're supposed to be there to win. I said, so what do you try to do? She's like, I try to enjoy the game and, and have fun with the people around me. I don't understand. I could not get there in my head. Are there really people that do that? I guess there are, but that's really her point in playing the board game was to enjoy those around her. She had a whole different idea. But my hope going in was to destroy everybody and make sure I won so that I could get some glory of winning the board game because everybody knows that's what matters. Well, folks, obviously I'm not just talking about board games today. I'm talking about uh, what we do in life and who we are. And here's the deal. So many of us do the same thing where we're excitedly going to take on this, this challenge, whatever it is, and be the person who wins out, uh, who wins the argument, who wins the fight, who wins the idea, who wins whatever, who comes out on top. And you're like, no, that's not me. Okay, don't raise your hands on this. Don't actually say anything out loud. But how many of you maybe over the last, ooh, I don't know, two, three months have gotten in a fight about politics with somebody? Or maybe you've disagreed with somebody about coronavirus or social justice and police and racial tension. 
Good, no hands. You guys listened, because otherwise there'd be a lot of hands. And why is that? That's because we argue about those things a lot. We come to the table ready to deal out death so that our idea can win. We want to destroy everybody else in our path of being right. And here's why. Our hope is in the wrong spot. Let's finish that verse that I never finished. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope how much? A little bit? little bitsy? Kind of set your hope? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Notice it doesn't say set your hope fully on who you have become. It's set your hope fully on something that somebody else is bringing for you. Literally, it has nothing to do with you. So who's going to get the glory, do you think? Probably not you. I know I'm, I'm shattering some windows today and people are like, oh, it's not about me? How? Yeah. The way that James says it, and I'll, I'll, I'll skip over James real quick. James chapter 4, verse 1, another book of the Bible where it's just straightforward, really difficult stuff to hear, but I love it because it just challenges you. And this is James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That your passions are at war within you. Man, I tell you what. That is me a lot of times. The passion that I have is for me to be right, for me to win, for my idea to, to be the one that everybody agrees with. There's a passion for that. There's a natural want that, that my thing is going to win, and that's where my hope is placed. My hope, even when I'm reading this lesson, I'm going, well, yeah, I get what God's saying, but I do hope that the person I want to win the election wins. Why? Why am I so caught up in my hopes, in what, what my idea of what's right is? It's because my hope is still kind of dependent on me, if I'm being real, and kind of dependent on some things that don't matter, like, and some people are going to be upset about this, I get that. The guy who speaks in front of a TV and is called the president for the next four years. That's where our hope is based. Why? Is that really where our eternal hope should be? We've got it, we've got it in the wrong spot. And I know I'm getting some of, your, some of your mail today and some of you are going, oh gosh, stop, stop talking about that, bro, because we're going to have to do battle. That's exactly my point. I felt the same way when I was looking at it. My hope is in my things a lot of times. Can we move on? We're going to move to the next verse. This is 14 through 16 of 1 Peter again, chapter 1. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Wow. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. For those of you who don't understand this, holy is set apart. It's different than anything worldly. So if your passions are on stuff that deals with this current world, he's saying get rid of it. 
And that is a huge challenge. And I'm not up here to tell you, guys, you need to get it right because I got it right. I don't have it right. I'm so far from this. I find myself so far from this that it's scary a little bit. But the truth is, there's a lot of my old passions, my former ignorance that still run the way that I do my life and the things that I hope in and the things that I worry about. And that is not at all going to give a God-honoring life to Jesus. That's me focusing on the here and now. Today, I want you to, uh, to hear our bottom line. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's kind of like the big main point that I want you to take home every week. And today, it is we give glory by centering our hopes and fears in Him. We give glory by centering our hopes and fears in Him. Where is your hope? Where is your hope? You had a hope at some point in your life, if you're a born-again Christian, that was based off of who you were and getting the things that you wanted, and now it's time for your hope to be set on something completely holy, on God's grace. My hope's in Him. Therefore, my fear is also based upon him. Let me show you what I mean. Let's take the next section of verse here. It says, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. For those of you who are um, unsure of what he means by your exile, this is your exile. This time that you are apart from God is your exile. Your life on earth is what he's actually referring to. It's your time that you're in exile. What an interesting way to think about it. You've, you've maybe some of you have heard like uh, that you're a, a, a traveler or uh, all these different terms. He's saying you're in exile. Basically, this isn't home. This is not where you belong. But while you're in this time, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, some of you are like, cool, I'm good at this. I'm good at being afraid of things. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to get coronavirus and die. I'm afraid that uh, taxes are going to go up. I'm afraid the wrong person's going to win the election. I'm afraid the Packers are going to lose. Go, Pack, go. I'm afraid that my food today will be undercooked and I'll get sick and have diarrhea. I'm afraid that I'll be late to work tomorrow because there's going to be an accident and it's not my fault my boss is going to fire me. I'm afraid. That is not at all where we're supposed to be conducting our fear through. You're afraid of the wrong things. Uh, are those things bad? Yes. The Packers lose today, I will be upset. And some of those other things can be bad too. Um, there's a lot of things that can be bad things, but is that where our fear should be centered? No, it's not. I've, I've often struggled with the idea of uh, what are the things that I fear the most and does that honor God? And I was thinking about this last week and one of the things I was thinking about is my, my sweet little baby girl, almost nine months now, and I'm thinking about what if God required her and, and she was gone in the next month, week, day? I, that's a scary, scary thought for me as a dad, uh, who is just absolutely in love with his wife and daughter, to lose my family is scary thought. It's, it's about as scary as scary gets for me. Things happening to me, it's like, eh, whatever. 
things happening to my family scares me badly. And I realize that that's because so much of my hope and fear that I have, if I'm being honest, is about my family and not about God. That's hard. Some of you are like, wait, are you saying that you're putting God over your daughter's life? Yeah, I need to, but I struggle to. I'm being very real with you today. My fears aren't always God-centered. A lot of times they're centered on my selfish desire, in this case, my selfish desire to get to continue to be a daddy, right? Even that is not a God-honoring fear because it's based off of me and what I'll get to do in the here and now. It's not based off of God. And so what should I be afraid of? Let's keep going. Knowing that you were ransomed, this is verse 18 where I'm picking up, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, futile, however you want to say it, ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Oh, you guys, where'd you go here? There we go. (laughs) So that your faith and hope are in God. Now, Notice that it says your faith and hope are in God, but we're, we already talked about hope. We're talking about fear. And what's the fear here? If you were following along there, he talks about how you were purchased at an extremely high price, the highest price ever paid. You, you are to honor God with your life. And so the thing that should be uh, causing you to be in fear is that you aren't following God. That what you're doing, the way you're living, does not honor God. That should be the thing that, if anything, keeps you up at night. It really shouldn't because if you're trying to honor God, you can rest easy. But the fear that you have shouldn't be based on all these. The only thing that you should really be afraid of is God himself. Why? Because just like all those hopes that were temporary, so are all your fears outside of God. Who controls your destiny? The next president? You're kidding, right? Coronavirus? Social justice? The Packers? Lunch? If those are your temporary hopes, that's also where your fears are going to be based. Your fears need to be based off of eternity, the one who controls eternity, the one who controls everything. If I am wasting my time here on earth, if I am doing things that displease God, if I am not doing what he called me to, if I'm missing out what he called me to, I should be afraid of that. I really should. When I was uh, 18, I felt called to become a pastor like God was telling me that almost audibly. Um, And it was a strong, strong, strong passion that I had from that time on. And I, I kept working and doing other things in the meantime, and I was honoring God in those things to the best of my abilities. But I gotta tell you, until I was able to really start being able to 
uh, reach out and share God with more people more effectively, I could tell in my heart that I was not doing what I was called to and I was scared of it. Very scared of it. And hopefully that's where you guys uh, line up when you stop and think like, okay, yep, out of all those things he mentioned, the thing that scares me the most is missing out on what God called me to. And let me show you why. We're going we're gonna to continue on. There we go. Yeah. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. As Peter pointing out, hey, love each other. Because the stuff here and now that you disagree on, who cares? How can that be worth not loving your brother that you're going to spend eternity with? This stuff doesn't matter in light of that. It should be easy to have a sincere love for each other when you look at each other and say, aha, you are the same as me. And here's what you should be seeing. A person, a person completely unworthy of a love that I have received. A person completely unworthy of the grace that I shall receive and get to go to heaven. That's what I should see when I see other people because people, that's what I should see when I see myself. Right? So it should be easier for me to love and not focus on these temporary things because realistically, if my brother and I disagree on who to vote for, and if that's a big problem between the two of us, man, have we missed out on what's important. And I know some of you right now today are like, I can't hear this guy right now because I feel like he might not be voting for the same person as me. I'm voting for the same person as you. It's going to be okay. Some of you got that. <laughs> you can't get hung up on this stuff. It doesn't matter. That's the reality. I'm not saying you don't have earthly responsibilities. You're all called to be a good steward of what you've been given. You've been given the right to vote. Vote. But folks, leave the voting booth unworried about what's going to happen there because you know who's in control? God's in control. He was in control before you voted. He'll be in control after you vote. He was in control before this coronavirus thing. He'll be in control after it. None of this is bigger than him. Never was, never will be. That cannot be what consumes your emotion, energy, and thought. Okay? Right here, Peter ends with a little bit of, uh, he's quoting here, he's quoting a, a bit of uh, Hebrew poetry, and um, it says this, it says, All fl flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. And half the people in the audience immediately goes, grass has a flower? I didn't even know. You know why you didn't know? Because we whack it down before it gets that tall, because no one cares about grass. Its only job is to sit there and be green. And we get angry at it when it fails to do that. Grass. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of the grass. It's not a very pretty flower, folks. It's nothing special. And even when it does have a flower, keep reading. The grass withers 
and the flower falls. Hallelujah, I don't have to mow in a couple weeks. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. We spend a lot of time focused on the grass. A lot of time focused on the grass. A lot of energy, a lot of fights, a lot of arguments. A lot of people emailing the church, hey, if you don't think this way and say this about how to treat coronavirus, you're wrong. That's where your hope is? If you don't vote for this guy, we can't be friends no more. That's where your hope is? That's the grass. Get your eyes up. That's, that's not even going to be around in four years, five years, six years. The word of the Lord remains forever. So here's my challenge to you. Before you get up in the morning, as you set your alarm the night before, say, when I wake up tomorrow, my first thing I'm going to do is make sure that my hope for that day is to honor God with my life. And my fear for that day is going to be missing out on what God called me to do. If you're writing down your challenge for the day, that's the challenge. And when I wake up, my hope for the day is to honor God. My challenge, my fear, my fear will be if I miss out on what God called me to do that day. Folks, if that's your hope and your fear, you're going to glorify God. And that's a cool thing, because that remains forever. Can you imagine if instead of uh, being in the middle of one of your political arguments where your entire goal is to be right and crush the soul of the other person and you win, which let's be honest, we've all done that. What if our goal was, man, how about in the way I treat them right now and the way I'm talking to them, how can I show them the love of Jesus on their life? What if I win somebody over to God in this argument? There's a hope. Can I tell you that's a bigger deal to win somebody over to God than it is to win them over to the Republican Party? Or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian, whatever your thing is? Can I tell you that's a much bigger deal with eternal consequence? And God gets glory out of that and you don't and that's great. If, if your hopes and fears can be centered on eternal things, God's going to get glory. And your little quibbles are going to go away. But when you're focused on your own glory, you're going to miss out on a lot of what God has for you. And on top of that, it's going to fade. Folks, I got to brag. Yesterday I was playing golf, and I'm not a great golfer. And I hit my first ever hole-in-one yesterday. It was amazing. It was glorious. Guess what? The glory's over. Ain't none of y'all even caring here, do you? And that's okay. You're like, golf, so what? You took a, a stone and you hit it into a hole with a stick. Whoopity-doo, bro. That's the glory. It took me 20 years to get a hole-in-one and no one even cares. It's going to wither. It's like the grass. It fades. I can't chase that with all my life. But when I chase honoring God, He's glorified and it's an eternal return on my efforts. 
So this morning, I know, I know there's a lot of people in here who are upset and are like, no, man, the most important thing is we get people to think the way we're thinking. Okay, if that's you, the most important person you're going to do battle with this week is you. And I'm challenging you that because it's me too. I'm that guy. You heard me talk about the way I play board games. Believe me, I'm that guy. And I have to say, you know what? Gird up your loins, Pete Kokos, and do battle with yourself this week and make sure that your hope is in God and it's not on you being right and you winning. And that your fear isn't based off of what can happen to your flesh, but your fear is based solely off of not doing what God called you to do because he bought you with such an expensive price that you need to glorify him with every waking moment you have, if possible. And when you fail on that, you get right back on your horse and do it again because that's more important than anything else you'll do with your life. Folks, if we can get our mind there to where our hopes and fears are centered on him, we're going to be a group of people that honor God and change eternity. If our hopes and fears are centered on this world, we're going to be people who might change the next year or two. Can you get with me this morning? God, thank you. Thank you this morning that you've challenged me to this. Uh, my pride uh, gets in the way often. My own foolish passions uh, of me getting glory and me being right are so often the cause of issues and problems, even with my Christian brothers and sisters. But God, I want to be a person who honors you with my life through my hope being totally, 100% centered on you and the grace that you have for me. I want all the glory to go to you in each and everything I do because my hope is in you. Lord, my only fears that I need to have are that I'm not getting what you want for me to do that day. And there's so many other things that consume me and, and can cause anxiety in me. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to remember they're all going to wither. It's all going away anyway. It's all destined to be withered and, and cut down. The only thing that will remain is what did I do for God? Lord, help me to remember that. Help my life to be centered upon that. Help all of us to do that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.